From KVMR Nevada City and in partnership with Freed, welcome to Disability Wrap. I'm Anna Acton with Carl Sigmund. Later in the show, we will hear about Medicare's open enrollment period, which runs through December 7th. If you or someone you know are currently enrolled in Medicare, stay tuned for information about how to review your current Medicare coverage and make any changes to your Medicare health or drug plan. But first, we turn to the elections. Tomorrow is Election Day. As of last Thursday, more than 80 million voters had already cast their ballot early, including 8.5 million here in California. NBC News predicts that the number of early ballots cast before tomorrow could be between 90 and 100 million, far surpassing previous records. How will our disabled community be impacted by a continuation of the Trump presidency versus a Biden administration? What do each of their platforms say on the issues central to our lives? Access to quality, affordable health care, long-term services and supports, housing, transportation, and the list goes on. And what should we be looking out for in the weeks and months to come? Coming up, we're going to air speeches both major party presidential campaigns gave to the Disability and Election Virtual Summit, an event hosted by the American Association of People with Disabilities and the Rev Up campaign. But first, we turn to Rebecca Coakley for some analysis of where our disability community is right now on the national political scene. Rebecca is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress Action Fund, where she focuses on disability rights, education, healthcare, and employment. The Center for American Progress Action Fund is an independent, nonpartisan policy institute and advocacy organization that is dedicated to improving the lives of all Americans. Before she joined the team at the Center for American Progress, Rebecca served as the executive director of the National Council on Disability an independent agency charged with advising Congress and the White House on issues of national disability public policy. She also served in the Obama administration for four years, including time at the Department of Education and Department of Health and Human Services, as well as a successful stint at the White House, where she oversaw diversity and inclusion efforts. Rebecca got her feet wet in advocacy while working at the Institute of Educational Leadership, where she built a number of tools and resources designed to empower and educate youth with disabilities and their adult allies. Carl spoke with Rebecca last Tuesday. Well, Rebecca Coakley. Welcome to Disability Rap. Thank you so much for having me. This summer, we marked the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it's been 43 years since the passage of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Before we get into the presidential candidates, I want to just 
I want to just get your overall take. Um, where on where our country is. Um, the on the path to a fully inclusive society for all people regardless of ability where are we right now Thank you, Carl. That's a great question. Where are we right now? Um, some days I wake up and honest to God, I don't really know. We have seen tremendous progress. And pro by progress, I don't mean progress in terms of the rights and inclusion of people with disabilities. I, I don't mean that we've seen suddenly IDEA fully funded or we walked outside and, and the world is now fully accessible. Um, what I mean is, I think we've seen tremendous gain in terms of the power of the disability community. I think there is no question in the mind of Congress, in the mind of the, the candidates that were running for office this last year, um, that the disability community is strong, is vocal, and has to be respected. And I think that's changed. I think prior to the Affordable Care Act fight of 2017, you know, we were seen as, as a photo op. Let's be real. Like, we were seen as inspiration porn. We were brought in to take the nice picture with the senator, which I have a couple from my old senators in California who are still in office after all this time. Um, but uh, they know that we are a force to be reckoned with. They know that if they pass policies or they support policies that hurt our community or endanger our community, or endanger the services that we need to survive, that we will hold them accountable. And I believe that that's a much different place where place in terms of our political power than we were even four years ago. Thank you. Yeah, I work in Washington, Thank you. Yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. during the Medicaid protests. I was actually in the Capitol, but not in the Rotunda. But the vibe there was palpable. Before we go on, what do you think brought about this change? I think there are a number of different things that contributed to this this shift in the power dynamic. I want to acknowledge, I think, having people with disabilities in the House and the Senate as like out members of Congress, um, Congressman Langevin, Senator Duckworth, and um, particularly their like unabashed, like blatant disabledness and like throwing it everywhere. Like I think for me, when I think about the ACA protests, you know, people always talk about like, when did you see yourself in media? I saw myself when Senator Duckworth 
smuggled her iPhone in her prosthetic leg onto the floor of the House of Representatives and then pulled it out when C-SPAN turned off the cameras during the ACA protests and live streamed on Facebook the, the members of the House sitting in because that's such a disabled person thing to do. And I, I'm, I'm suspecting, Carl, I don't know you well, but I'm suspecting you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, we understand how the system works. We understand how we're historically counted out or dismissed. And we're able to turn that into a power and use it to our advantage. And so when I saw Senator Duckworth do that, and I, I've joked with her about this a number of times, I was like, that's when you earned your cripple stripes. Like, that's when you became my senator. And I live in D.C. and I don't have a senator, but my senator is Senator Tammy Duckworth. Um, because she fully owned who she was as a disabled person, a disabled person of color, a disabled woman, a disabled veteran, a disabled mom, and was so unabashed and apologetic about it that I was just like, yeah. Um, I think the, the we're not going to take it anymore attitude of disabled protesters, whether they belong to the Center for Popular Democracy whether they belong to ADAPT, whether they belong to Addie Barkin and the Be a Hero crowd. Um, any protester in my book, defending our rights is a good protester. It doesn't matter to me what their affiliation is in terms of organization. And really seeing folks turn out in a real powerful way and work across those organizations, um, even if previously there had been drama or beef, but like, be like that what matters is the law and the policy and keeping the ACA together, I think was really powerful, was really important. Um, frankly, I also think like discussions about disability and relevance, like I get really mad anytime I hear people say that, you know, well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have retired earlier on. I, I, I find that really ableist. It's the same way I feel like when people wanted to throw Dick Clark off of New Year's Eve after his stroke, I'm like essential functions of the job. They're doing the essential functions of the job. They're doing it with accommodations just because you're uncomfortable with it because you're non-disabled and it freaks you out. That's not our problem. Like the law says X. And so I think just a, a defiance of ableist norms by disabled people in the public eye um, and by aging people, I think is, has also really like helped bake the ground for this. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, I don't think, I've never been able to really pinpoint it on one thing. To me, it's like a, um, a cluster of, you know, what's happening in politics, what's happening in pop culture, um, what's happening in society, what's happening in the law, what's happening in music. Like, you can point to any number of different things. And I think they all really sort of gelled around this notion that the disability community is strong and not to be messed with. Um, not to be underestimated in these fights. Okay, one more question before we dive into Thank you. One more question before we dive into the presidential campaign. You talk about you talk about disability identity. And you did not use these words. But you talk about disability pride. 
I'm a monster. And so, I'm wondering what that moment was for you. As a disabled As a disabled person. When you really own yourself as a disabled person? That's a great question. Um, so I happen to have a, I have a couple of disabilities. I have achondroplasia, which is the most common form of dwarfism. Um, I also have an annoying heart condition that acts up every three or four years or so. Then it has to get zapped and it goes away for a while. Um, and I also am a person that lives with migraines. I don't think I ever was in a position not to own my identity. I'm one of the 20% the of disabled people that grew up in a family like them. So both my mom and dad had achondroplasia. They both passed away now. Um, but I grew up thinking that in, there was nothing wrong with having a little waist and a big butt and a flat forehead. Like I grew up in a world where it was normal to go to the store or go vote with my parents by riding on the back, riding on the power pack on the back of my dad's power chair. Um, and so for me, I always considered disability beautiful. I always considered disability strong because like I saw my dad hold it down working at a center for independent living and my mom working at a disabled student center at a community college during the AIDS crisis, uh, when they lost students and friends and loved ones almost on a daily basis. Like I saw my parents um, protest for the, for the ADA. You know, I, I used to go to rallies with, I grew up in the Bay Area, so my godmother, Annie Coppola, I, I joke that I rode into the movement with her. Like I used to go to rallies with her all the time. Um, when we would go to Berkeley, she was my cool, groovy, badass, like radical auntie. And so I never grew up feeling that disability was anything but strong, but beautiful, but confident. Um, and so for me, honestly, the hardest thing has been working to meet people where they are when that's not their experience, when they've been told by society, by their family, by people who love them, hide that part of you are who you are or change that part of who you are or we don't like that or that doesn't fit in here. And for me as an advocate, it spent, it's honestly taken me a lot of time to get to a place where my knee-jerk reaction was, well, then you're hanging out with a bunch of a-holes because anyone who tells you that you're not perfect the way you are, anyone who tells you that you're not strong, you're not confident, you're not deserving of love, of respect, of dignity, shouldn't be in your life. Um, you know, and now as a mom raising three kids... Um, my oldest two have disabilities are both little people also. I often think about what were there like tangible things my parents did to like create that sense of confidence in me and like how do I do that as a parent? Um, you know, and at the same time also let's be real, there's also days where it really sucks to have a disability. I used to call them like uh, like bad dwarf days and you know, you're going to the ATM, minding your own business, going to deposit some money. And a bunch of people, a bunch of grown adults down the street start yelling midget, midget, midget and pointing at you. 
or somebody pulls out a camera to take a picture of you and your child when you're walking across the sidewalk and it's way too far for you to get to the Louisville slugger that you keep in the back of your minivan for such occasions. And that sucks. And like having to embrace that suck. And as a parent now, like talk to my kids about it and be like, yeah, you know, mom told you that it's awesome being a little person, that we're proud of who we are, that our bodies are beautiful, that our mind, that we're smart, that we're competent, that we can do anything anybody else can do. And a lot of times we can do it a damn lot better, but there are going to be days when it's not awesome and that's okay. And we can acknowledge that. And we can like chalk it up to just an ableist society because that's not about you. That's about somebody else's drama. And let's move along. You've been listening to Carl's interview with Rebecca Coakley, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. We want to turn now to the presidential campaigns. Back in June, each campaign addressed the Disability Election Virtual Summit, an event hosted by the American Association of People with Disabilities and the RevUp campaign. Here's President Donald Trump's daughter-in-law and campaign advisor, Laura Trump, speaking for the president. Hi, everybody. It's such an honor to be speaking to everyone here at the American Association for People with Disabilities. President Donald Trump and his entire administration are eternally grateful for the incredible work done by the AAPD, and we're thrilled to continue to partner with you to effect real and meaningful change for the disability community. President Trump believes that every American should have the utmost chance to pursue his or her American dream. We've done so much together during this first term, and we look forward to working with you all going forward to ensure the American dream is accessible to all. In recent months during this global pandemic, the administration has worked tirelessly to ensure that hospitals never discriminate against people with disabilities when testing and treating for the coronavirus. We've also worked to ensure that people with disabilities will have support to assist Americans with disabilities during their hospital stays. President Trump's administration is committed to taking bold action to protect Americans with disabilities. The administration placed a ban on using electric shock devices on autistic children. It's a true shame that it took until now to ban this cruel practice. President Trump's vision for all disabled Americans is not only to ensure that the disabilities community has all the resources it needs, but to celebrate the incredible achievements made by your community. Americans with disabilities have made significant contributions to our nation. President Trump is committed to creating a more inclusive nation, a nation where Americans with disabilities are embraced in schools, workplaces, and communities. Every American should be afforded dignity, respect, and equal rights. Together, we'll ensure that disabled Americans are empowered and uplifted. Before the coronavirus pandemic hit, President Trump created a strong economy where Americans with disabilities experienced the lowest unemployment rate in history. While our nation is recovering from the serious pandemic that has impacted all of our lives, President Trump worked with Congress to provide immediate relief to families through the CARES Act. President Trump will re rebuild our economy and bring our jobs back to America. President Trump's 2021 budget for the Department of Labor included $3.8 billion for vocational rehabilitation grants to help individuals with significant disabilities prepare for and remain in the workforce. This funding supports a wide range of services, including counseling, job placement assistance, and rehabilitation technology. 
Furthermore, the president is committed to preparing youth with disabilities for success in the labor market by providing a strong educational foundation. From education to workforce opportunities to support for patients and caregivers, President Trump is committed to uplifting and celebrating Americans with disabilities. As we look to the future, we reflect on the victories we've achieved together, but also look forward to the work that still needs to be done. We can't wait to see what more we can achieve together. Thank you so much for having me speak today. That was Laura Trump speaking at the Disability and Election Virtual Summit back in June. This is former Vice President Joe Biden's addressing the same virtual summit from his home in Delaware. Hey everyone, I'm so honored to have this opportunity to share with all of you my commitment to advancing disability rights as President of the United States. And I want to thank the American Association of People with Disabilities and the Rev Up Network for the determination and commitment you bring to elevating these issues to our national conversation. Here's what I think it comes down to. Everyone is entitled to a life of dignity and opportunity. And it's incumbent on all of us to ensure that everyone can participate fully in our society. I've been with you in this fight for a long time. My first year in the United States Senate, we passed the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. In 1988, the Fair Housing Amendments, which literally helped open doors for those with disabilities. And 30 years ago, I was proud to co-sponsor the landmark Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. It was an enormous step forward. It demonstrated that we could accomplish big things, that Democrats and Republicans could work together to make life better for millions of Americans. 30 years on, the work of full participation isn't finished yet. You know, I've made building a more inclusive and more resilient middle class the cornerstone of my campaign. And only this time, we're going to bring make sure everyone comes along. That's why I've released a comprehensive plan for full participation and equality for people with disabilities. Everyone should be able to live independently in their chosen communities, to enrich our society with their talents and their contributions. That means aggressively enforcing the civil rights of people with disabilities, safeguarding against any efforts to weaken the ADA. That means ensuring access to high-quality, affordable health care, including mental health care, making sure it's available to everyone. That means expanding competitive, integrated employment and educational opportunities for people with disabilities. It means promoting economic security and access to the basics of everyday life, housing, transportation, emergency service. I also released a COVID-19 specific policy to ensure the needs of people with disabilities are being addressed during this crisis. We need to make sure that healthcare isn't rationed and fully enforce non-discrimination protocols and protections throughout our recovery. We need to expand home and community-based services and make sure that caregivers have access to emergency paid sick leave and financial support. You know, it's been a terrible crisis for our world and our country. And I believe, I believe strongly that as we work to rebuild, we have to once again be the generation that generates more opportunity to transform our country. I want to thank you again, AAPD, as well as RevUp, the entire network. Thank everyone in the disabilities community for your advocacy and your leadership over so many years to push the nation, our nation, to a more equitable society. That's what we must be, a more equitable society. That was former Vice President Joe Biden addressing the Disability and Election Virtual Summit back in June. We will link to both of these speeches on our website, freed.org slash disability wrap. We will also link to the page 
on AAPD's website where you can find both candidates' responses to the presidential questionnaire AAPD released in partnership with the National Council on Independent Living. We now turn to Medicare. October 15th was the start of Medicare's open enrollment period. For more on what it means for you or someone you know, we turn to Carolyn Washington, the Education and Outreach Coordinator at the Health Insurance Counseling and Advocacy Program in Sacramento. Carl spoke with Carolyn on Wednesday. Open enrollment is a time period for any individual who is already on Medicare who wants to make some changes to their plan. There are many options available and money is not the place to start when you're thinking about making this decision. You want to really look at about 11 to 15 different things that are all related to you. Do you have a physician that you have already that you want to continue with? Are you on any medications? And do you really know if your medications are going to still be with the plan that you're currently with? Um, Are you receiving the health care that you like? Are you going to be moving? Are you going to stay in the area? Are you going to be on Medicare and Medi-Cal at the same time? So there's a host of questions that you need to ask yourself in preparing. Now, when it comes to the open enrollment period, it is going to last from uh, October 15th all the way to December 7th. And that's for most people. Some people who decide that they want to get into a Medicare Advantage plan, there's a wider window, but again, it all depends. So in order for you to Uh, make these decisions in this period of time with the most knowledge possible, you can utilize your Medicare and you handbook. Most people who are on Medicare should have already received that booklet. And if you have not, you can go online and access, access information about Medicare in your specific area. In the back of your book, it'll highlight a number of plans that are available in your area, but it's just the highlight. You then have got to contact those plan carriers and have a conversation with them. They will not provide you a printout of those plans in detail. They will email you a copy of them. They say that they're saving money, but you need to really dig into the weeds. And before you make any decisions, you recontact your provider and you say, hey, doctor, do you take this particular plan that I'm interested in? The $39.99 plans that you're seeing on TV and the zero premium plans that you're seeing, they may not be designed for your area. For your county, high cap. Health Insurance Counseling and Advocacy Program, who provides all of the assistance related to Medicare at completely free and unbiased. You can contact us in your area. Seniors First is the uh, screener for our appointments. You'd contact them directly, or you can contact our main office, and we would connect you with a counselor that would sit with you over the phone or on video chat and talk with you about your specific Medicare or healthcare needs. The important thing is that your neighbor or your friend or your relative, their Medicare plan that they are implementing is designed for them. So you cannot go on their advice. If you contact us, 
will sit down with you, hash out everything, get a good picture of what your healthcare needs are, what you're eligible for, and probably open your eyes up to a whole lot of other Medicare benefits or healthcare benefits that you may be eligible for, but not aware of. So enrollment during this open enrollment period, most times is either through the plan carrier themselves, or you can do it online. Medicare.gov, the website is also a great place where you can get in there and figure out what plans might be good for you. And you can do some signing up at that point. If you have some questions about, oh my golly, my social security that's paying for my Medicare, not sure about that, I'm recommending that people do contact Social Security directly to um, identify what their Social Security situation is as it relates to their Medicare benefits. So we've covered open enrollment. We've covered the time period. We've covered locally where you can in uh, Nevada, where you can get assistance talked about the counselors that how they can help you uh, kind of navigate the system. And fortunately, this isn't just a one time shot. This isn't that we provide these services during open enrollment. We are here all throughout the year assisting people with their ongoing issues with Medicare. That was Carolyn Washington, the Education and Outreach Coordinator at the Health Insurance Counseling and Advocacy Program in Sacramento, also known as HICAP talking about Medicare's open enrollment period. To make an appointment with one of HICAP's counselors, call Seniors First at 530-889-9500. This show is produced and edited by my co-host, Carl Sigmund. Special thanks to Courtney Williams for her support. To listen to the show again, go to free.org slash disability wrap or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anna Acton with Carl Sigmund for another edition of Disability Wrap.